We believe in you. We trust in you. We love you. We need you. We adore you. We ask, God, that you would come near and speak to our hearts, that each one would receive the message you have for them. Lord, I just pray to be a a vessel to communicate your word. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the city of Thessalonica was a free city. It was ruled by its own citizenry under Roman Empire. It was not simply an occupied territory of Rome. It was much more than that. It was the capital and hub of Macedonia for commercial and political activity. It was known as the mother of all Macedonia. Had a population. Now, this kind of is surprising because whenever we think of ancient cities, we think of small villages or we think of small cities. Well, Thessalonica was a city of about 200,000 people. Large city, especially in Nebraska. There's not a lot of large cities here. But it was about 200,000. Paul visited Thessalonica during his second missionary journey. Now, Paul and Barnabas set out from Jerusalem. They headed up along the Mediterranean Uh, inland from the Mediterranean, all the way up, and they made it to Antioch, where Paul and Barnabas had a dispute dispute over taking John Mark along, and they divided and went in different directions. Barnabas and John Mark went to the right, and Paul and Silas went to the left and continued on north. They made their way eventually to Troas, So we're going to join Paul in Troas, where he had fallen sick and had a vision of a man calling him to help in Macedonia. We don't know whether that man in the vision was Luke, but we do know that Luke joined Paul and Silas there after they came over to Macedonia. So we don't really know. But it is a good possibility that the the vision he saw was of Luke. The thing that's encouraging about this passage and about this, what happened there was that Paul was in a very weak moment. He was sick and very sick. The terms used there means he was very sick. And then God came to him in a vision during that time. And as you think about that, whenever we become sick or we just are tired, I, we have Thanksgiving on Saturday after Thanksgiving because uh, in mission work, you, you work on holidays. And so ours was yesterday. And uh, I ate too much. And I felt really terrible last night. <laughs> but, you know, even in the midst of feeling bad, Pastor Aaron, as as he's at home right now, even though he might not be feeling well, we can always listen to God. Just listen. You may feel, I can't even pray right now. I think it was Jonathan Edwards when he was so sick. I think it was him that said that one time that he got to the point that he could not even pray. He was so sick. But you know, even in the midst of those times, we can listen. Just consider God. 
You know, I think too often we forget that term, consider God, in all circumstances, in all things that we do. And no matter how we feel, we can always consider him and listen to him. Well, Acts 16, 16 through 40, gives us the narrative of their visit to Philippi. Paul and his companions, Silas and Timothy, made their way across the Aegean Sea and on, and on to Philippi, where Paul and Silas delivered a young slave girl from a demon. Now, you probably know the story, so we won't go read the whole thing, but just to... to I'll briefly describe what happened there. As they went into, they went into Philippi and they were preaching the gospel. And there was this woman who was a slave. She was possessed by a demon and she was following them around and shouting, these men are from the most high God with the way of, and they bring the way of salvation. Now you would think just on the surface that if you're going to preach the gospel and then there's some woman here that is considered a fortune teller who's following alongside and telling everybody who you are, that you are from the Most High God, you would think, well, that's good. Not really. <laughs> if, you have, if you were out trying to preach the gospel and while you're trying to do that, there's someone here yelling out who you are and what you're doing and disrupting everything that's going on. She was disrupting their ministry. So Paul, finally, he was just to the point of, uh, that he just couldn't take it anymore, this, this young woman following them around. And so he turned around and he cast out this demon. Well, her owners then were upset with Paul and Silas because now they're, fortune teller who was making a lot of money for them was no longer able to tell fortunes. And so they were upset. And so they went to the magistrates. They said what happened. Paul and Silas were then arrested for coming there and teaching things that they weren't supposed to teach and, and for casting out this demon, which was their livelihood. So Paul and Silas were put into prison. Well, they were beaten with rods and thrown in prison. And while there, in this dark, deep, dungeon-like prison, we know it was so dark, it was about midnight, it was so dark that, that the, the jailer couldn't see them. In fact, whenever what happened next happened, he was about ready to take his own life because he thought they'd all run out. But as they were in this cell, they were praising God singing hymns. Wow. That would be hard to do, wouldn't it? That's what they were doing. Well, God was moved by that. The ground shook. The jail doors flung open wide. Their chains fell off. And the guard, when this happened, the guard was so worried because the, the penalty for losing your prisoners is death, and it's not a pretty death. And so he was going to take his own life. I don't know how Paul and Silas knew he was doing that, but it was so dark he couldn't see them. He thought they were all gone. And Paul cried out and said, don't take your life. We're still here. And so this jailer then came to them 
and said, how can I be saved? He knew that these men were truly from God, bringing the way of salvation, and so he asked, how can we be saved? They then took him home, cleaned him up, and his whole family was born again, came to Christ at that time. What an incredible story, but the part we can't forget is they had been beaten with rods when this happened. They were not feeling good. They were bruised and battered. So they were delivered. Eventually, the the magistrates, when they found out that they were Roman citizens, they were really scared because they were a territory, as it were, of Rome. And so they they were pretty scared about this. And so they told the jailer, tell them to leave peaceably and quietly. And Paul said, no, you beat us publicly. If we're going to leave, you're going to have to come and ask us publicly to leave. And so the magistrates ended up doing that. They came to them and they asked them, please leave quietly. And they did so. Well, after they were forced to leave Philippi, beaten and bruised, they made their way eventually to Thessalonica. Many of the Thessalonians believed, but those who did not believe stirred up the people. So they were forced to leave there, and they made their way finally to Corinth. Went south to Corinth. I've read that they were probably only in Thessalonica about four weeks. Now, four weeks is a short period of time to start a church, isn't it? Paul later dispatched Timothy back to Thessalonians to see what they were doing and what was going on. And Timothy came back with this really good report that just brought joy and excitement to Paul. So he sat down and he wrote his first letter to the Thessalonians. Paul and Silas laid a solid foundation. That's so important for a church to have that foundation. And if you have a church, if you're in a church that has any kind of a good foundation, it's a good place to be. People are growing. Things are happening. Uh, People are changing. You know, that's what the Word of God is supposed to do in us. In fact, Jesus prayed that we would be sanctified by His Word that we would be sanctified by the Word of God. And so if we have that solid foundation in the Word of God, then we're changing, we're being sanctified, we're being set apart, we're becoming the men and women of God that He wants us to be. So with all that as a backdrop, we're going to read 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Paul, Silvanus, which Silvanus is Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. In the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God, 
For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. Whom, we ra- whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So verse 1 says, Paul and Salvanus, Silvanus, I mean, or Silas, and Timothy to the church of Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, notice that he does not mention the Holy Spirit there. He mentions God the the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's letters were inspired by the Holy Spirit. And I love these passages that that just kind of come up every once in a while that reaffirm the nature of God, the triune nature of God. And this is one of those moments Paul's letters were inspired by the Holy Spirit. In John 15, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will come not to testify of himself, but to testify of him. So here's the Holy Spirit testifying of God the Father and the Son, not of himself. Here we see the Holy Spirit testifying of the Father and Jesus through Paul. So we've got to always remember that when we're reading Scripture, that it is Scripture that's from God, from the Holy Spirit. We read the book of Acts, and in some of our titles say Acts of the Apostle. Will you really, Apostles, will you really think about it? It's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts is about the Acts of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit was doing in the church in that time. So he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace was a familiar greeting of the time. But there's something that's much, much deeper that extends to the believers, to all of us. There's something much deeper that this extends to when we apply it to the believer. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. Grace is the reason we're justified. Grace, the reason for peace with God. And grace, the reason for, the peace, for peace in God. You know, there is a difference between, between peace with God and peace in God. Peace with God simply means you're saved, that you're no longer at enmity with God, that you're now one of His, you're, you're, you're at peace with God But there's peace in God, and peace in God is something completely different. It's something that happens within us that we receive by His Holy Spirit. 
Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not works, lest anyone should boast. Then it goes on to say, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Notice he not only speaks of grace as our salvation, he also writes of grace as making us God's workmanship prepared for good works. Grace and peace are so intertwined, they're the dynamic duo of the Holy Spirit. Grace and peace. Philippians 4.6, another familiar passage that says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be, be made known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard over your hearts. And so there's that peace in God. Whenever things are really bad, and yet you can have peace, if you're missing that, be praying for God's Spirit to bring that to you. That you will have His peace even in the midst of trial, in the midst of difficult things. I just came back from California where my sister uh, is in the hospital and she had some major surgery for cancer. And she had a, she was on a ventilator. And I went and saw her, and you know, as heartbreaking as it was, and she's still struggling, she still hasn't been able to eat. And as difficult as that is, I know that she knows him. There's a peace that comes from that. Just knowing that God is always in control. Sometimes nightmares. Sometimes we'll have those kids have them at times. And if you understand the peace of God, and you're lying there awake after a bad dream, pray. Ask God for his peace, and, and he'll, that warmth will just come over you. And, oh. Or if you're going through a difficult time, or someone that you love is going through a difficult time, pray for that peace, because that is peace in God. Then verses 2 and 3 says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. So how often do we just thank God for one another? When you're at home and, and maybe just sitting in silent prayer, do you think of the other people in the church? I mean, just, just look around. Take a moment. Just look around at the different people you see here. Do you pray for them? Making mention of all of them in your prayers. Strong's, now, now the word all means all. The Strong's Bible Dictionary, now I'm, I'm not a Greek scholar by any means, but I can read the Strong's Dictionary. And... Strong's Dictionary said that the word all there means all, any, every, the whole, always, any, daily, ever, every, as many as, thoroughly, and whosoever. That's all. (laughs) 
That means everyone in here, even someone that maybe you have a personality conflict with or there's just something, there's something you don't quite, can't quite connect with someone. Still, thank God for them. Thank God for all of you. And mention one another in your prayers. All means everyone here. God wants you praying for one another and considering one another. I'm thankful whenever I think of you all and other churches that we visit. You are a blessing to one another. That is one of the reasons why this COVID thing is such a diabolical attack on the church. Because it divided fellowship, didn't it? took so many people out of fellowship. That's such an important thing. We're to love the Lord, our God, and who else? Our neighbor as ourselves. And so how can we love our neighbor if we're not getting together? And so it's so important that we spend time together. And so I remember our church up in Seattle. We were uh, a part of a church there, and it's Calvary Chapel, and in Kent, Washington, and there was a coffee shop in the church, and so after church, in, after the services, people would go in there and have coffee. Well, we had a little granddaughter, just one at that time. Nathan has six of them now, but there was, he had one at the time, and they, we would go to first service, and they would come to second service, and we would watch Sophie during second service. And so, We went to church, then we went to the coffee shop, and then we hung around after church with all the people that were there, and there was such a sweet fellowship. I felt like when we left, I couldn't shake this feeling that I'm going to miss out on something (laughs) because we're leaving. And so we took our time getting out of there. I think of Sharon Sands. She was a woman who was in our home fellowship group. And one of the sweetest ladies you'd ever want to meet. She, when she was a child, she had a, a very high fever, and so there was some uh, brain damage there. And so she struggled, but she was so, or is, so sweet. Always sending these little things on, on uh, text messages. And Facebook of just just sweet things, saying love you, thinking of you, all kinds of things like that. It's a, just a wonderful lady. She knows our addresses. She, I, I hadn't ta- gotten anything from her recently, so I sent her a text last night, and she sent me one back and saying, telling me what was going on in her life, and then asked asked me to send her a picture of Kathy and I. I mean, just amazing lady. It's very easy to love someone like that. But the word here says all. All of us. I'm a little convicted by that message because I don't pray as I should. We probably, none of us do. Well, Paul speaks of how he remembered without ceasing their work of faith, labor of love, and patience and hope. This is something that we need in rescue ministry, is this, it's a labor of love. And we need to have patience 
We have hope for the people that come to us. It's our goal that every person that walks in our door is going to come to Christ and want to go into discipleship. Be, be disciples of Jesus, but let us help them along the way in that. That's our goal for everyone that comes in. That's a work of faith. The works of a believer should always be a work of faith. Hebrews 11.6 says that without faith it is impossible to please God. Galatians tells us that even Abraham was justified by faith. Romans 5.1 says, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. A labor of love. Children and grandchildren are a lot of work, aren't they? But it's a labor of love, isn't it? We often have the grandkids out to our house overnight. Now, we have uh, you know, a daughter in Elko, Nevada, and a son in Hanford, California. So we don't get to see them too often, but we get the kids from Columbus a lot. Uh, in fact, we, we bought a house in Osceola, so we'd be right in between working here in York and and being able to see the kids in Columbus. And so they were all out yesterday for our Thanksgiving. But sometimes we'll take them overnight. Now, we don't take them all at one time. I don't think we could handle that. Well, we take the three boys one weekend, and then we'll take two of the three girls the next weekend. The third girl is still too young. She's only a year old, and so she's still a little too young to be away from mama overnight. But we get the two girls, and then we'll go to the three boys, and then they all all try to compete about who got to do what while they were at Grandma and Papa's. <laughs> they can be a lot of work, and we love it when they come over to our house overnight. But you know what? It seems so peaceful when they're gone. <laughs> But we miss them when they leave. I think of Silas, my, uh, our, the, the second one down, next to the oldest. He's nine years old. And one time Silas, they were over for, uh, there was something going on, and they were there for an extended period of time. And, and Silas says, one time he just got a little sad look on his face, and he says, I miss mom and dad. And it was so sad to hear that. And uh, that he was, he was feeling that way. I'm glad he missed him, but it was sad that he felt that, felt, was feeling so grieved over being away from them for so long. But you know what? When he left, he came to me and he said, I'm sad. I said, why are you sad? He says, now I'm going to miss you and Grandma. <laughs> oh, it's a labor of love. Birth itself is a labor of love. I think of Kathy when our daughter was born, Sarah, and Kathy had an incredibly painful labor because Sarah, she wasn't breached, she was posterior, turned the wrong way. And so what that does is it causes extraordinary back pain during delivery. And so she was going through this, and she was so focused in on getting through this. And, and I remember at one time, she was in so much pain, and she just said, it's not worth it, it's not worth it. <laughs> well, 
While she was there in that hospital bed, there were two words that she would say. One was forehead. That meant I took a wet cloth and I put it on her forehead, fresh cloth. And the other one was back, which meant I needed a rubber back. <laughs> Those were the two words. Well, uh, after a while of doing this, I decided I'd turn the news on and watch the news while I'm doing this. And she learned a new word. It was off. <laughs> she wanted no distractions. It was incredibly painful. But you know, whenever that baby girl was born and they took her and they laid her on her breast, she said, it's so worth it. It's so worth it. That's a labor of love. And that's what the people of Thessalonica had. That's what Paul and Silas had when they were there. It's a labor of love when you just a child or grandchild and you're wiping their face off and they're fighting you over it and they don't want you doing that. And that's a labor of love. There are so many things that we do as a labor of love. We should have a labor of love towards one another as well. Or when they're sick or injured and you agonize in the hospital, not, o- not only because they're sick, but you agonize on those horrible recliners they have in hospital rooms. And you try and sleep, stay there overnight. I bet most of you here have had to do that before. Spent the night in one of those terrible recliners at the hospital. I think they make them uncomfortable on purpose. And, uh, but that's a labor of love. This labor of love Paul spoke about is the labor of the gospel proclaiming it amid trial and tribulation. Persecution. The Thessalonians knew the cost of faith in Jesus. They knew the cost for them. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, speaking of this this gospel and in reaching out with that to people, he says, to this end we both labor and strive. It's the labor of a diligent preparation for a Bible study you may lead. Sometimes it's just bearing with a brother or sister who has lost a loved one, just sitting with them, spending time with them. It can be difficult. You don't know what to say, so don't say anything. But be with them. It's a difficult time, but it's a labor of love. Sometimes it may be bearing with someone who has stumbled in their faith. And it may be spending time with them and helping them walk through that process of restoration. Sometimes that labor can seem unappreciated. That's okay. Continue that labor of love. He says, patience of hope. Learning to wait on God is so hard for some of us, especially when we're young. How many blessings have we missed out on because we just just because we didn't want to wait. We see that all the time. People come to the mission and they've lost everything and then they start working and saving money and, and they get that little bit of money and they don't want to wait for something, for the right thing, so they just do anything and they 
end up falling on their face because they just couldn't wait to save money, stay with us a few months, and be ready to move out. They just wouldn't wait. That is patience of hope. That's probably happened to us too many times. I know it has me. I just didn't want to wait. That's why a lot of people end up in financial problems. Wanting to buy a new car. I've seen people come to us that, that needed clothing. And they drive up and they've got this beautiful vehicle. Well, that beautiful vehicle is probably why they can't afford to buy clothes. Just can't wait. Most of the time, they'll end up losing that. Verses 4 and 5 says, Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. Now, we hear about the Holy Spirit now. Our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. Now, C.H. Spurgeon preached in a church that had this real high flight of stairs up to the pulpit, because in those days, of course, they didn't have sound systems. So they had these rooms, big cathedrals, as it were, that, that were shaped in such a way that everything would, would travel, sound could travel well. And so the pulpit was way up high. And when he would walk up, the pulp, uh, up to that pulpit every, every time, with every step, he'd say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. All the way to the top. The other day, I, was, I had this song stuck in my head, and I couldn't get it out. And I was, oh, I've got to get this song out of my head. It was Usually, the song that I get caught in my head is Come Thou Fount. That's a good one. But this, I think this was something I heard in some commercial or something. It was a secular song, and I couldn't get it out of my head. And I was thinking to myself, I wonder if that's OCD. Then I started up the stairs, and with the first three steps I took, I went, O-C-D. Oh, I caught myself. What am I doing? That's O-C-D, isn't it? So the rest of my way upstairs, I went, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. That's something that is good to be O-C-D about, isn't it? Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? You believe in God. We are believers. That's why we're here. We believe in God, believe in his Holy Spirit as well. Now, the word power here is the word dunamis. And this is where we get the word for dynamite. I once heard someone say that the power of the Holy Spirit blows up man's idols. The Platte River... I can't remember what year it was, last year, year before, it had all these big icebergs in it. And so they had to go out there and they had to blow those icebergs out of the water so the water would keep flowing. They were having flooding problems. And so they had to blow this ice up. Well, the Holy Spirit blows up idols like dynamite blows icebergs out of the water. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Dick Hillis was a missionary to China from 1934 to 1950. 
when he and his family were expelled from China and they moved to Taiwan and he did a number of other things and eventually he retired, sort of, and he would come up to Hume Lake Christian Camps and he would spend Wednesday, uh, he would give the message on Wednesday, he was in his 70s at that time, and he would give the message on missions to all these kids, 750 high schoolers that he was talking to. He did that all summer long. Each, each week, a new group would come in. Well, Dick Hillis was walking down one side of the street there at camp, and I was walking down the other side, opposite directions. And he just stopped and yelled over to me, and he says, What's going on, Larry? Well, I had had a bad experience in the chapel that, that morning, there was a group of kids in front of me and they were getting all rowdy and knocking each other down during one of the songs, one of the fun worship songs and, and falling back into the pew and everything. And, and I tapped one of them on the shoulder. I said, you guys need to chill. Then their youth pastor who was with them in the group, he was really upset with me. And after chapel, he just laid into me about me, saying, me stopping his kids from having fun. And I just felt terrible. I was walking, like I say, down the side of the street, and Dick Hillis listened to the Holy Spirit. He said, Larry, what's going on from across the street? And I went over, or he came over to me, I think, actually, and talked to me, and I, I told him what had happened. He said, Larry, you did the right thing. Well, boy, that just lifted me up to hear someone like him, this incredible man, encourage me and build me up. And he gave me one of his books <laughs> and signed it. Well, his brother, Don Hillis, served as a missionary in India. Now, Don had this one man in one of the villages there in India, and he had been given this man the gospel for a long time. He really invested a lot into the, this man, trying to bring him to Christ. And as he was sitting at home one day, there was smoke coming up from somewhere, something on fire. So he went over to where the fire was, and it was this man's house. This man was standing out in front of the house, and, and uh, Don went next to him, stood next to him, and all of a sudden, this man got this frightened look on his face, and he went running back to his building. He was going to go inside his house and didn't know why. You know why he was doing it? To save his idols. He had left them in the house whenever he escaped the fire. He was afraid they would burn up. So he stopped just short of the house, and he thought, wait a minute. If these are gods, they should be saving me. <laughs> and he turned around and he went back to Dick Hillis and he received Christ right there in his whole household. Or Don Hillis, I mean. Don was a missionary in India from 1937 to 1953. That fire and the Holy Spirit using that fire, using Don Hillis, the Holy Spirit just blew that man's idols right out of the water. 
So we're going to wrap up here on verse 6 and 7. It says, And you became followers of us and of the Lord, of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy and of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believed. Remember how I spoke about Paul and Silas coming after having been beaten and bruised in Philippi? I believe that it's possible that the Thessalonian church may have been greatly impacted by that. They probably heard about what happened, and then these guys come to them, and were probably still bearing the, uh, the bruises and wounds from being beaten. And the people of Thessalonica saw them come to them in much affliction, bringing the gospel. And I think that that example might be one reason why they were able to turn around then and receive the word with or in much affliction. They knew the cost. Now, I don't know whether God sent Paul and Silas to Philippi to be beaten so that they could go to Thessalonica and, and be a good witness, be a great witness with their, their wounds. But I do know that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so he may have used that to prepare the Thessalonian church for what they were about to experience. So as we leave today, May the grace and peace of God follow us all the days of our lives, no matter what the afflictions or great joys we experience. And may we remember all, one another, in our prayers. Lord, thank you so much for your word again. Lord, thank you for the person closest to us in this room. We thank you for each one. And God, we pray for all of them. Good things. The power of your Holy Spirit to be manifest in their lives. Your word to sanctify them. Your peace to overflow in their hearts. Your grace to save them. Lord, we pray for your blessings on them now. And Lord, I pray for each one here that you would bless this body of believers with fellowship, with sweet, sweet fellowship in the works that you have created them for as they are your workmanship, each one. We're thankful for that and all this in Jesus' name. Amen.